Hello and welcome ladies and gentlemen to Overthrows episode number 3. I'm Baram Kazi, you can find at @defmango on Twitter and with me as always is Jared Kimber who this time forgot to put us in the show. <laughs> do you want to do you honestly want to know what I was doing? What were you doing? <laughs> I was using artificial intelligence to try and make old sci-fi um novel covers that look like cricket. Yeah, totally believable. <laughs> All those AI images I mean, that you keep sending? Yeah. <laughs> there's like this big this i've been trying to get giant flies <laughs> over the top of futuristic cricket grounds to work i've got i've got some okay ones i'm not you know i'm not sure if i've nailed it yet but i'm on my way <laughs> well i mean we'll we'll look forward to seeing all of those in in your several pieces um but anyway lots to talk about today we've got qtw arco muki hitesh sinha and triple sheswan fried rice in the comments so hello to you guys as well and uh, as you know overthrows is all the on field cricket stuff So we'll start off with the Under-19 World Cup. Jared, Australia have won their fourth ICC title in a row. They defeated India in the final once again. That's three times in a row now. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's been a golden year for Australia. Were you able to catch any of the action in this Under-19 World Cup? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I watched some of the I watched some of the smaller teams at time. I think I saw a little bit of Bangladesh, Ireland, um, maybe Scotland as well. At uh, you know, at various. um times but no i just I, i always think yeah this is the year i'm going to watch the under 19 world <laughs> cup then it starts and i realize it is absolutely not the year that i'm going to do that um i look i might have a look uh in the future like you know in the next couple of weeks or actually i don't know when i might look after the next actual world cup when i get time off again um <laughs> uh, but i didn't see it T- take me through it is there anything i need to know other than australia one well they were two and they had a and i had a guy called beardman which i do yeah, think yeah. is important initially i thought that was bradman and i was like oh we finally have another bradman in australia but no it was beardman uh but yeah we had two very close semifinals right uh, south africa the home team they set up like 240 odd uh for india to chase in the first semi then they had them at 32 for 4 and then india chased that down and then pakistan and australia gave us a throwback semifinal where pakistan made 179 and nearly defended 180 mm. runs uh, australia won by i did by, see that game yeah, actually they won by one wicket <laughs> <laughs> I've now forgotten which games I saw. I did see that game. I, I put a tweet up about that game, making fun of '90s kids who, like, you know, always try to claim everything for themselves. Um, basically, saying that uh, how dare these young children, you know, play in the style of 1990s ODI cricket? And people, there were some young people who took it really seriously. I'm like, guys, <laughs> come on, it's a, it's this is a joke about what happened. But yeah, that was that was a good. tense game i saw a little bit of the first innings but i saw most of the second innings um uh, it was just full on the whole way it's like an arm wrestle yeah it's crazy uh, how pakistan literally played like pakistan from the 90s because uh, they did not concede 200 even once in this entire tournament they defended 155 versus bangladesh and their star performer was uh, ubaid shah with the ball nasim's younger brother right arm pacer and uh, he took 18 wickets at, at i think 12 and a half a piece so he pretty much carried the team to the semis and then ultimately that lack of batting um or oh well that lack of runs really because there is some talent over there but they didn't get many runs that caught up to them but um yeah india i think their batters were mighty impressive right you speak of that semi final in which uh, they chased that target down versus south africa after being 32 for 4 so odhay saharan the captain uh, he played a very good knock and he's also the leading run scorer of the tournament and then um sachin das he scored around 96 runs in that game very very impressive knock he also ended up in the top 5 run scorers of uh, the tournament and coming in at 4 for 32 in a crunch game 
then, you know, leading your team home. Uh, not to mention, of course, you've got Mushir Khan over there, who's Sarfraz Khan's younger brother, second highest scorer in the tournament. Kind of fell off during the knockouts. But, you know, that pipeline of batting talent, it seems to be flourishing, as always. Yeah, I don't know if I saw India play. <laughs> so I'll, I'll take your word for it. Um, it was funny. Someone contacted me at one stage to say, um, I've got a story for you. A couple of um, a couple of the players in this tournament are actually over the age of 19. <laughs> <laughs> and I almost responded to go, I've got a story for you. It's the fact that we can't actually accurately tell how old a person is. There is no medical test that allows for that. Um, so I just assume every under-19 tournament is like this. And I just don't care all that much i mean individual players are quite interesting but i remember doing a story years ago and i think it might have been alistair cook's under 19 world cup mm. and like third or fourth leading run scorer was a guy called theo Doropoulos, who's now a i want to say a news but he might even be a weather um weather presenter oh, really in um in adelaide i'm just saying not everyone who makes a lot of runs at under 19 world cup goes on yeah. to be you know a Shout out to Theo. He did he did play first class cricket and everything. He wasn't a complete failure. But I think the player of the series a few years ago for Australia was Will Pasito. Hmm. Do you know who Will Pasito is? I did back then. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> he was all the rage. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, That's what I mean. Like, so, it, is another, right? Uh, now we'll be playing yeah, for Umuk the States. And he's looking forward to playing India actually in the T twenty World Cup. Yeah, Umuk Chant, and there was a, there's another, you know, so there's you know, there's I remember very, very early on, they might have even won as well. Australia might have won an under-19 World Cup with a guy called Adam Smith, um, uh, was captain of, of the team, Victorian player. Hmm. A couple of years later, he was playing against me in club cricket. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, you know th these things happen. I I'm not saying it's not worth watching. Um, if it happened more often, I might be more interested in it, you know, from a perspective point of view. But you see these guys every four years. Um, and a lot of junior cricket, of course, is the way that you develop as a young player may not be the way that you develop as an adult. And, and people might not have worked you out yet and everything else. But, you know, if you like it, it's certainly something to watch. I think it's great that it's broadcast. We've got a women's yeah. under-19 tournament, um, you know. Was it the last edition was the first one I think they'd ever play? Or, or the first edition was the first edition they ever played? <laughs> um you know, it, th these these are great things, but I'd kind of prefer to see something. I, I would love it if Australia, India, and England actually use their money, mm. you know, towards towards actually setting up some kind of a junior league. Um, you know, we've seen it with A cricket at times as well. That I'd be more interested in, but a one-off tournament every now and again, you know, it's going to depend on how busy I am that week. And, um, you know, uh, glad it happened. Well done to all the cricketers <laughs> involved, but that's, I've got nothing for you, man. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, you know... <laughs> I mean, you also got one thing wrong. You said every four years where this one happens every two years. So we can see, Jerry. Two years, isn't it? <laughs> how how much of years. a... <laughs> I did, actually, it's funny. When, you, when I said it, I was like, actually, is it every two years? And then I was like, I don't yeah. care. But I, I, did, I lost interest midway through my sentence. I, I'll tell you, like, on the batting front, I'm not too sure how many of these kids will really make it. Because sure, India has all of this batting talent. But India already has a lot of batting talent. So will they be able to push through? We don't know. But I'll tell you some bowlers that I was really impressed with. I've already mentioned Obed Shah. I expect him to, you know, like his brother Naseem, someday make it to Pakistan's team. He has another brother. He might be too old to play for Pakistan already. Who knows? <laughs> 18, yeah, of course. Pakistan. you got to play them at 16, Pakistan. Otherwise, yeah. there's no point. Um, but yeah, there's him. Uh, India had this left-arm orthodox spinner, uh, Shomi Pandey. He took 18 wickets as well, like Obed, but his economy was two and a half. So there's, there's something to look out for over there, right? Um, of course, there were the right-arm paces from Australia, Callum Weidler and Tom Straker, uh, who impressed. And uh, there's an England leg spinner. He's actually a Birmingham kid, 
from Warwickshire. Uh, Atif Nawaz from the BBC rates him very highly. His name is Tazim Ali. Has a killer wrong gun. But the one standout bowler, and if you have is not... He, ah. Just before you go away from him, is, he's the, is he related to Mo and Ali? Is he the one that was related to Mo? Is he? I'm not quite sure. Someone, someone told me to look out for a young England leg spinner related to Mo and Ali. And I'm assuming it would be him with with with, with the same name. But I, I might just be confused. Just before you get to the standout, I, I saw Streaker as well. Yeah. So Streaker was... I saw a lot of... you know I did see a lot of clips mm. and, and, and saw some games. It's very rare I saw anyone that looked like they could bowl an international delivery. Mm. Straker looked like someone who may be more along that that mm. sort of line unit. Very hit the pitch very, very hard. Yeah. He he took a six for versus Pakistan was basically the reason Australia mm. pretty much won that game, right? Because uh, at the end it was down to the wire and you could make a case that Pakistan <laughs> should have even won it, right? Um but anyway, um coming back to the bowlers and the standout bowler, of course, who if you have not watched a clip yet, Jared, there's a compilation of his wickets on Twitter somewhere. You definitely should watch out for Quena Mapaka. Because uh, he is oh, the seen him. player of the tournament, 21 wickets in six games at less than 10 apiece, which is ridiculous. He hurried mm. batters on both the front foot and back. And uh, he bowled some blistering Yorkers, right? Like uh, a, a great highlight reel. And uh, I mean, I saw him bowl and I sort of instantly knew that this kid will make it to the senior team. Much like Rabada all those years ago. I think it was 2014 or something for KG. But you just, you just know. And he's... Definitely the biggest name I feel to have come out of this under-19 World Cup. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's obviously been a lot of hype about him already. I don't think he's that far away from probably playing some franchise cricket, hmm. um, getting out there. He kind of has all the skills that he needs uh, for that sort of stuff. Um, again, just, you know, this is the thing about underage cricket. And, and Straker might also go uh, in, in this sort of thing. Sometimes it's the, the players who physically develop earlier um you know and he you know bo both of those guys especially as fastballs just look like they've already physically developed um and so that might mean that they've got more upside or it might be that this is their peak so it'll be interesting to see where they go but i i, I they were the two that i thought of as potential um players to, to keep an eye on over the next one to two years whereas there's other talent there but the other players will take three four years to to develop with respect to quena um i was thinking about which other left-arm South African bases do we think of, you know, historically? And when I started thinking about that, I, I couldn't come up with a lot of names. So maybe he could be that guy. So the, the player that they had that was really good, and I've forgotten his first name now, but Schultz, which would have mm. been before your time, everyone thought Schultz would have been great, but he just could never um, stop getting injured. Obviously, you know, Wayne Parnell, they've mm. kind of persisted with Wayne for years, yeah. but hasn't quite worked. Um, uh, Totsobe? Yeah. Was he left arm? Wasn't he? And then uh, Buren, Buren Hendricks. Hendricks yeah. Is he the other one I'm thinking of? I was thinking of um, Parnell only. I didn't even think about those other guys. Yeah, there, yeah. there really aren't many. The only reason I know this is because <laughs> um, I, for some reason I was I was writing about this in, when I was in South Africa. Uh, it wasn't just about South Africa, but I was talking to Sean Pollock and I was asking him, like, do you think there's a reason? And he named like all these different players and I was like, yeah, but outside of Parnell, who basically gets picked mm. also because he can bat, none of these guys have really stuck around. Yeah. So again, my question is, why haven't you had a good left-arm pacer? You know, and, and we do know, you know, the West Indies is another country. Um, England is another country. There's a few countries that haven't had them. Um, and and I don't know if there is a reason. But yeah, he that, that's probably another reason you think he's going to get a go earlier. Yeah. Plus, if you're a left-armer and you can bowl over 85 miles an hour, you're probably going to play franchise cricket at a certain point. Pretty much. Yeah, I was really excited, you know, with that sort of prospect. And, and you're right that just because he does have the left arm angle, it's a different skill set altogether that South Africa aren't used to. I expect him to make his uh, senior team debut 
probably earlier than the other cricketers that we saw in this tournament. Uh, but anyway, Jared, uh, 13 minutes in, we're done with section, uh, or well, our first segment. That's never happened in the last, I don't know, 500 years? See what happens if I don't <laughs> watch any cricket. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Anyway, we've got uh, Regista and Sam in the comments as well. So, hello to you guys. And uh, we'll be back after a short break to discuss Sri Lanka versus Afghanistan. You're watching Overthrows with Jared and Bairam. Stay tuned after the short break. We'll be back. Remember that cricket is a funny game. 100 years before we protected our heads, players looked after their groins. So, don't be as stupid as old cricketers and protect your computer today. NordVPN is the protection I use when facing cyber shortfalls or when rights issues try to dismiss me. NordVPN will help you get through the straight bat of any geo blocks so you can watch all the cricket you want. If you need your pitch changed, well, NordVPN can doctor any surface to a new location so that your IP address is set up for you to win. Want to buy an associate cricket shirt from a place that won't ship to your country? Select NordVPN. Want to watch a game on a free stream in another hemisphere? NordVPN. Or if you just want to watch a clip on social media that a cricket board won't allow you to, promote NordVPN to pinch it for you. So if you need a VPN, go Nord. Use nordvpn.com forward slash Kimber to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. The link is in the show notes. Protect your computer like a cricketer protects its nether region with NordVPN today. Hello everyone and welcome back to Overthrows. You're with Behram and Jared and we're going to talk about Sri Lanka versus Afghanistan. So Jared, after winning the solitary test match, Sri Lanka have taken an unassailable 2-0 lead in the three-match ODI series. They scored big in both games. So much so that Jarat Asalanka has literally said that we should make batting wickets in Sri Lanka. But here's the good part for them, or good news, is that each of their top six batters crossed 50 at least once across both of those games. Mm. But... You know, there's only one guy who reached triple digits. And uh, yeah, Patum Nisanka, opening batter, he became the first ever Sri Lankan cricketer to score a double hundred in ODI cricket. He carried his bat after scoring 210 off 139 balls. And that is immense, Jared, because uh, A, you know, we didn't expect this. And B, Patum Nisanka was someone who Mickey Arthur earmarked as one of those guys who would go on to have a successful career during his stint. Mickey, as we know, is great at eyeing talent and developing it. And he's someone who's been around now in the mix for a bit. This is where he's truly staked his claim. Yeah, look, I mean, he's got an international record of, I think, I don't know what his one-day record is now, but I think he was averaging around 40 in both mm. formats. And he's like 24, 25, yeah. right? Like, I think what happens is, you know, maybe maybe people like Mahela and Kumar have kind of ruined the thinking on this, but normal batting, you... If you're an above-average talent, you're probably going to be in the side around 21, 22, 23. Doesn't mean that you're going to develop automatically or you're going to you know, take to international cricket directly. But to be fair to him, he's been hanging around. So if he then goes and has a big four or five years, he could go, you know, and I'm talking about in about one or two years' time, he could end up with a really good record, hmm. right? So he's always been one of those players for me within the margins. He's probably still a little bit too slow in ODI cricket. Yeah. Um, you know, I think myself and Estelle have talked about this before. It, it's not his talent that we're worried about, mm. but you, you can't really strike at 85, yeah. 87 anymore in, in ODI cricket if you're going to be the anchor, just because that's just too slow to mm. catch the top teams. Um, uh, you know, you can't put any pressure back on the bowling team if, if you do that. 
But this, again, is a, it's a good sign. I mean, his strike rate was 150 in this innings. He yeah. should do that all the time. Um, so I don't know if that's bumped up his strike rate <laughs> as well. But, but the point being overall, the very basic level of talent there, I think, was quite evident. And you're just kind of waiting to see if, you know, when you get to that 24, 25 age, one of two things happens. Either everyone has seen enough of you hmm. and you start struggling or the opposite happens and you you feel a little bit more comfortable and you can go out there. But this is going to give him confidence, right? Like I know it's against Afghanistan and, hmm. um, you know, it was a Rashid Khan wasn't in the attack and our old, our old friend, I do meet old Gubadine, um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, bold eight overs and, you know, all I'm, I'm not, you know, it's clearly not the greatest um, team that a bowling team that Afghanistan have put out or anything yeah. like that. But you make a double hundred and you feel a little bit different. And and a lot of these things, it really is about, it's like, it's like playing a computer game. Mm-hmm. It's like un- unlocking levels. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Of, New high you know, score. So, you, yeah. You know how to use the, the, mm-hmm. the controller, right? And, um, and now he feels comfortable, you know, going into a room and having the battle droids shoot at him or, <laughs> you know, or, or being shot at in Red Dead Redemption or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Comfortable enough that you can whip the camera angle around and aim the gun where you want. Like, yeah. I know it sounds stupid, but it's exactly the same thing at international level of, you know, so many times I will talk to players and I, quite often I'll ask them this because I'll say, you're really good and you're not making any runs. And they'll tell you. I just, I don't really know what, I and then you talk to them a couple of years later and they'll be like, yeah, I just suddenly worked out what I was doing. Hmm. I think he's been a player who's been slightly better than that. So maybe he can kick that into an even higher gear from here, but it's, it's a fantastic development for Sri Lanka because they haven't had many people who can make runs. That's why I think this has been an important tour. And sure, of course, it's a depleted Afghanistan team as well because Rashid Khan isn't there. But then again, you know, you don't associate mm. Sri Lanka or have not associated Sri Lanka with big runs over the last uh, half a decade or so, ever since Sangha and Jaywardhane retired. And Patham Nisanka is someone who, as you said, we all knew was talented, but him going at a faster strike rate, that is very promising. And I mean, Look at these guys. There's Nisanka, uh, Fernando up top, that opening pair. Kusal Mendes has kind of changed his game as well. He mm. plays quicker now. Sadira Samra Vikrama has had so much success. The new kid, uh, Lianage, he's doing well. So you've got this group of young players who could be developed till the World Cup. Because remember, they're not playing the Champions Trophy. They're not in it. So they've got time. They've got so much time yeah. to get good. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, also, Sankalp Verma in the comments is asking, wasn't uncovered first and then the off-field stuff with overthrows. We switched it. We, we thought it makes more sense for yeah. overthrows to be on-field cricket stuff and uncovered to be off-field uh, cricket stuff. So yeah, uh, now it's going to be overthrows first and uncovered next. And that goes for everyone who's watching. All right, uh, before we move on, let's talk a bit about Afghanistan. Of course, they were obliterated in the second game. You know, Waninduha Saranga did a Waninduha Saranga, mm. four scalps and only two Afghan batters, they crossed uh, double digits which was both of their run accumulators, Rehmat Shah and Ibrahim Zadran. They both got to 50 as well. But in the first game, you know, chasing 382, Afghanistan lost by just 42 runs. And while the game was kind of always gone, Mohammad Nabi and Azmatullah Umarzai, they slammed career best scores. Nabi, who is called the president for some reason. I really need to know what the, re- what the uh, etymology of that nickname is. He, he, do you know actually? I think it comes from his time at the Renegades, doesn't it? Uh, where right. he knew everyone in Africa. I think my memory is, I could be wrong, but I, I know it was definitely made public around the time he played for the Renegades. And I think it was that he kind of acts a little bit like the person who's in charge <laughs> and he knows everyone. And there's a little bit of, you know, not political in a bad way, but political in a sort of remembers everyone's name and, um, and everything. But that, that 
That's the first time I heard it anyway yep. when it was at the Renegades. I don't know. I would be surprised if people in Afghanistan were calling the president. Mm. <laughs> but I, I don't know. Maybe they do. I mean, unfortunately, he's 39. Otherwise, I thought that nickname could really catch on. But, you know, second hundred in ODI mm. cricket, uh, very old, probably older than 39, if we're being honest. And uh, yeah, happy for him. But yeah, He does not remember his 39th birthday, <laughs> does he? If Gulbuddin is 32, then Nabi has got to be like... Yeah, I don't even, I don't, I don't want to comment on this, but he looks old. N Nabi, before I came to the UK, I think it was like a year or two before I came to the UK, Nabi was playing at the club that I played at as the overseas pro. Mm. Um, and they were kind of, they were like, they weren't talking about him as if he was like a young guy then. And that was like 2006, I think I want to say. <laughs> um, so I'm just putting it out there. He might be slightly older than advertised. Yeah, for sure. I mean, happy for him. We all know what he can do. And he's hit a bit of a purple mm. patch as well later on in his career. So 136, definitely great, but not the biggest story. The biggest story is Azmatullah Umarzai, of course. 149 unbeaten of 115 deliveries. His rise has been emphatic if you look at the last however many months, right? Uh, his knock was berserk. It's been that way for a lot of knocks. I've seen him come out and attack. And, you know, he's averaging over 50 now in 18 ODI innings. And this is a guy who's quite handy with the ball as well. In fact, in the second game, he ended up with figures of 3 for 56. So, can Afghan fans be super excited that they've got like a, you know, premier seam bowling all-rounder in their wings? Or should we still wait a bit? I think we talked about him in the World Cup, mm. didn't we? Like, you know, then that was the kind of the conversation we had at the time. Look, I don't think he is, um, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know about his bowling. Mm. Like, I like the pace of it, but it's kind of a little bit all over the place. Maybe he'll just be able to work out some extra tricks as he goes forward. Um, but he's not particularly consistent. In this game, I think you're talking about he went at 10 and over, if, I mm. if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so, you know. There's, he's, that's going to happen to him occasionally. Yeah. And I do think he's miscast slightly because sometimes he's the second seam bowler and he <laughs> should obviously be the third or fourth seam bowler at most. Mm -hmm. um, but they don't have a choice. And, you know, um, you know, they're trying to fit extra players into that side and because of his all-around skill. His batting I really like. I think he's very green. So I compare him to Baz Delida, right? Mm. I saw Baz Delida and I was like, oh, there's so much here, but he needs to develop. And almost overnight, Baz Delida seemed to develop both sides of his <laughs> game. And, you know, uh, he's done a very similar kind of thing where you just like, oh, yeah, I can see he might be a player. Oh, wait, he's a player already. How did this happen? So I'd be very excited if I was an Afghanistan fan about him. I don't know he's ever going to be in their best five bowl if, if in the best five bowlers. Um, if he can get to a point where he's, good enough to bat in their top six. And he certainly looks like that at the moment. Yeah. Let's say he bats at number five or number six mm. and he can get you 12 to 15 overs um, and innings in test matches and get you six to seven overs in, in um, one days and at least two overs in a T20. That's a huge win. Yeah. Right. And, and as you said, he is, I think he is probably, well, I mean, his bowling is still developing, but my guess is with his bowling, he's probably a, we could take up more than he is at a, a, uh, you know, line and length bowler yeah. or uh, economical bowler, but we haven't really seen the wicket taking enough hmm. in his career so far. Um, and, and that's a little bit of a worry because it's kind of got to be okay with one or what with the other. Yeah. Um, and you watch him play and you're not quite sure, um, if he's going to be able to consistently do that. But he, as I said, in, in one day cricket in T20 cricket, he's just got to find a period of the game that matches his bowling. Hmm. And in test match cricket, I, 
I actually like his bowling a little bit more in test match cricket because I, I, we haven't seen many of these players. I'm trying to think of someone else, but we haven't seen a bowler like him in a long time who is an attacking fifth option, if you know what I mean. I was going to say Stokes, but even Stokes um, could bowl. Well, may, maybe it is. Maybe it's like a Stokes kind of bowler where you just go, look, if you go for runs, you go for runs. It doesn't matter. We've got four other guys who can keep it tight, but just bowl some stuff. You know, Dougie was, Wal Walters, ben, ben Stokes. Stokes was pretty quick, though, back in the day when his knee was functional. That's what I mean. But if you look at Stokes, he wasn't. He was kind of bowling every ball for wickets. Hmm. You know, most of the all-rounders you kind of get are more like Brian McMillan and Steve Waugh and Paul Collingwood and Surav Ganguly, yeah. where you're just like, okay, they're just, it was Shane Watson, where hmm. they're all just kind of economically nagging on a length. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's actually more fun to have the guy who's just like, I'm not a full-time bowler, so I'm going to try to take a wicket every ball. <laughs> um and, and, and you don't get as many of those out there. I think batters usually too sensible to do that sort of nonsense. But mm. I, I think he could be that kind of player. But yeah, white ball bowling, I don't know where he fits in. Batting, I think we saw him in, in the World Cup at times. He needs to tighten up his game in, in, in certain ways. But his power and his eye are, you know, incredible. Yeah, so I first saw him in the PSL actually playing for the Peshawar Zalmi. And I didn't know much about him prior to that. And my thoughts back then were also that, okay, at the death, if you're giving him an over, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. But yeah. with the bat ever since, because I've kept an eye on this kid, you know, since then, I have seen a lot of progress and he strikes it at a very high rate. That's something that Afghanistan also needs mm. because they've got Zadran and Remit Shah who are... No consistent run accumulators, but the strike rate is an issue. So if, I don't know how long Mohamed Nabi can play, but having him and Omar Zai who can come and strike it big after those two guys, that that would do their combination well. Because Gurbaz could come up trumps up top as well, right? And we've constantly said that if, mm. if Afghanistan can get, get to those 280s, 290s consistently on, you know, uh, surfaces that offer a bit for everyone, then yeah, they could be a better team. But um, I suppose... That's pretty much all we can discuss from this uh, series. Let's take a short break. We'll be back with Australia versus the West Indies. You're watching Overthrows with Jared and Biram. Don't go anywhere. We're back here shortly. Stay tuned. Thanks to the kind folks at FlexiSpot for looking after my office and my butt by sending me their E7 Pro desk that save your favorite desk heights at a touch of a button. You don't have to crank anything. This thing just finds the height that you like and you can work. And their BS12 Pro chair that supports my posterior while I'm recording, well, this ad and all my shows. If you need great desks, especially ones that change heights or the best quality chairs, head on over to FlexiSpot. Hello and welcome back to Overthrows. You're with Bairab and Jared and we're going to talk about Australia versus the West Indies. And uh, yeah, Australia swept the ODI series 3-0 as you would expect them to. And then they too took a 2-0 unassailable lead in the T20s. Glenn Maxwell, upon return from the hospital, <laughs> he smashed an unbeaten 55-ball 120, which Jared is his second ton in T20 internationals in three innings. Uh, he is now tied with Rohit Sharma for the most number of hundreds in T20 internationals, which is five. And it feels like since that 200 versus Afghanistan in the World Cup, He's been batting on another planet. This is probably the best we've seen of him. Mm. Yeah, I think I, I think we talked about it when he was injured. He's not the same athlete he used to be, yeah. right? You know, we talked about this when he got the cramps during that World Cup game. But if you look at it overall, he talked about coming into that World Cup that he wasn't the fielder he used to be after he broke his leg at that party and, you know, all mm. those different things and wasn't the same kind of athlete. It's a, I think there's an element here of him just having to 
pare down a little bit what he mm. does, right? And just focus on, you know, the very obvious things of I'm going to bat, I'm going to, you know, play these shots in this situation and not try and play a different shot every mm. ball. And look, I think his record was fantastic beforehand and I've got no problem with the way he had played earlier. But if he could get to that kind of state, and to be fair to Australia, this is kind of what they always wanted mm. from him, except they went about it the wrong way. And also they didn't quite understand what Glenn Maxwell was. And I think now giving him the freedom is allow and, and with him maybe, as I said, slightly reduced in athleticism, I think he's just a little bit more focused. Could also just be, you know, um, late career, he's, he's worked out his game a little bit more. Mm. There's always been looseness within his game, you know, uh, straight full balls from fast bowlers, not particularly good against the short ball all the time. You know, compared to other top batters of his level, he's got a lot more holes within his game. Hmm. And perhaps as he's getting older, he's learning how to negate those a little bit more and, and then, you know, and then just play to his strengths rather than try and play every shot that has ever been invented and then reversing <laughs> it. Yeah. I mean, I recently was picking, uh, you know, or with my pro sports gig, we were creating our perfect batter. And for reverse sweeps, I had like, AB and Joss Butler in my mind, but recency bias made me go for Maxwell. So that's certainly something that is iconic with respect to him. But yo, he might be. Well, he can reverse sweet quick bowlers. There's yeah. the difference. He can yeah. reverse sweet spinners and quicks. Absolutely. And he can switch it. Mm -hmm. That's true. So it's interesting how, you know, you said that, of course, the athleticism has suffered. And I mean, there's some other issues as well. But when it comes to power, 109 meters, that's how big a six was that Maxwell hit. Mm. And I mean, look, he might not play another T20 World Cup, right? Let's be honest. This could oh, wait, be his is that last. a 12? Is that a 12 in... Um, oh, it's a, it's a 9 for AB. Yeah, 9 for AB and 12 for KP. That's basically yeah, what just it make, is. Just making sure that everyone understands. <laughs> although, if, if you if you miss that social media moment, you probably won't. Yeah, you probably, I, I've uh, made some references to it already on Twitter and a lot of people were asking me for context. I can't, I can't give you the context. It's too layered. <laughs> you know, there's so much to it. <laughs> anyway, so obviously, like, he's uh, not that young anymore. He's no spring chicken. And uh, this might be his last T20 World Cup. David Warner is another one of those guys. Uh, he scored a 36-ball 70. Again, retired recently from both ODIs and tests. And with these two guys in form, going into a T20 World Cup, who might not ever get to play another one of those cups again, you'd have to say Australia are prime contenders to lift the T20 World Cup at this point. I mean, they've won everything in the last year, all ICC events. Mm. We'd be hard-pressed to believe that they couldn't win this one either. Yeah, well, they'll certainly be, they'll certainly be among the favourites mm. for the next tournament and also for the women's tournament. So they've got a yeah. couple more tournaments that they're due to win, I suppose. Um, look, if Maxwell's playing at this level, then he is, you know... Uh, uh, ridiculous and same with warner if, you know if warner can unlock those sort of what would you call them 60 off 35 mm. you know type innings that we, we've seen from him before uh or 60 of what did i say 35 yeah did i say 35 i did you know those those kinds of innings consistently then that allows australia to kind of do anything and then you've got mitchell marsh as mm. well um you know and you know travis head if uh, i don't know if he's even in the t20 side i think but, he's going to new um, zealand and interestingly patty cummins is in the team in the New Zealand series, but Mitch Marsh is leading it. So there might be something brewing over here in terms of captaincy. They, I think they have to find a way to get Pat Cummins a rest, I think, as yeah. much as anything. Um, but but yeah, so yeah, bowling is still, I wouldn't say an issue, but, you know, Mitchell Stark isn't the bowler he used mm -hmm. to be. Pat Cummins um, hasn't been a good T20 bowler essentially since he got back into the test team yeah. in some ways. Um, 
Hazelwood's obviously been very good and, and it will suit Zampa. But but yeah, I think there are clearly some issues uh, within that. But Maxwell can win them a couple of games and no one's going to want to go up against him in an important game once he gets set, right? I mm. mean, that's the truth of Maxwell. That's always the issue with Maxwell. Um, India probably more set up than most to go up against him because of Boomer. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, you know, most teams, sadly, as far as I'm aware, do not have Boomer. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, when I look at Australia, uh, I look at a team which is really high on confidence. And when I think of these two players in particular, Maxwell and Warner, I think the drive is going to be 10 times higher because they know they've already achieved so much. They just want to probably end on an absolute high. And, and I mean, it's, it's likely, but uh, did you catch that moment? Um, Alzari Joseph was run out. There was no appeal. And the umpire said it's not out. We've seen this before in the IPL. Um, but that happened. Yeah, I didn't. I, I someone sent me it, but I never, I never, I forgot to go back and have a look at it. Yeah, it's it's a it's a weird one because I would have thought they still had a chance to make a appeal when it was given. Well, when it, I can't even say it was given not out because if you don't appeal, yeah. it's just not out. Um, but I thought the timings are a little bit odd. But yeah, it's, and until I would have thought until the bowler was at the top of his mark for the next delivery, they had a chance to appeal for that. Um, but yeah, you've. Got to appeal, that's, you know. It's why we appeal. In, you know, in, in, that's that's part of it. Is yeah. the, the phrase is "How's that?" Right? Uh-huh. In, you know, there is the question is implied uh, within the "How's that?" Um, so uh, certainly, you know, a, a, as you said, we've seen it in the IPL. I, you know, I've I've seen it before um, in certain situations. I actually had a situation in a club game once where I was wicket keeping. And I took the bales off and I was so excited at my wicket keeping. I sort of went, ah, <laughs> And the square leg umpire said, are you appealing? And I wasn't really. I was just excited. And I went, yes, I am. And he went, that's out. <laughs> um, so sometimes the umpires will give you a bit of a clue if you have an appeal. But yeah, uh, in general, always appeal. Yeah, or unless you're Stuart Broad because then the celebrity appeal could potentially work for you. The umpire could be like, all right. <laughs> or, or just these cricketers, the Australian guys probably need to play Cricket 24 because you cannot get a dismissal unless you appeal in that game. So there's that. Um, oh. But it was- I, I, I actually think in the video games, it's one of the more annoying things. <laughs> yeah. And like, especially with the, if you, I don't always play computer games with sound on mm. and you can't tell if it's hit the pad or the bat. And so if someone's played a perfect defensive shot, you have to appeal. Mm. It's just, it just, and it just delays the next ball. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, uh, it's a weird pet peeve to have, but it is thing, a pet peeve. Good thing about the PS5 is that your controller does a little vibratey thing uh, when those sort of things when it happen. hits the pad. Uh, when it hits, yeah, a pad or if the batter edges it, so that that helps definitely. It's a oh, it's a really good I console. Yeah, I would recommend it. Ten on. I'm 10. not sure if the four does that. I, I've got a. I'll have to have a look at my four. You've does got that, these motion but, um, sensors in the PS5 uh, controllers, in which a lot of games you just have to move the controller physically, and then things happen. But yeah, this is a podcast about cricket, not about uh, gaming consoles. So we'll come back to. <laughs> no, it's a podcast about cricket gaming. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, Josh Ford says Maxwell has always seemed like someone whose face didn't fit in the Aussie team. That's an interesting one. Don't know what you mean over there, but yeah, yeah, yeah definitely an interesting comment. What what he means is that. They, they they didn't particularly like who he was at all times. Ah. He didn't didn't really play the Australian game of doing. I mean, they used to complain about how he warmed up, um, <laughs> and and how he trained in the nets, and you know, and there were some. Oh, I think there were some reasonable issues as well. Mm. But they were. We saw this with Andrew Simons. They spent a generation trying to pair back Andrew Simons, and you know, look at Andrew Simons' early T Twenty numbers, and you will know like what he could have been. Mm. He could have averaged thirty 
with a strike rate of 140 in ODI cricket, hmm. Andrew Simons, right? And in the end, they got him averaging 40 with a strike rate of 90, right? right? And and they tried to do the same thing with Maxwell. Um, slightly two different characters. I think Andrew Simons was kind of just wanted to whack it hmm. and eventually found out if he didn't try and whack everything, they, they would, you know, uh, allow him to be who he wanted to be occasionally. Whereas I think Maxwell's probably as far as cricketers go between the two of them, just a little bit more creative, a little bit more out of the box than Simon's, you know, inventing stuff mm. and everything else. So he would quite rightfully say, you can't, you can't throw me out in a T20 and ask me to make a hundred off 30 balls and then complain that I practice in the nets the way they do, mm. because those two things are directly related. And th so there were some issues there and, you know, he's, uh, He's, I, I think he's ruffled feathers at times. Never played a test in Australia, for instance. You know, there's some interesting things about Glenn Maxwell, the cricketer, when, when, when we look back at it. But a lot of it was he just wasn't quite the player they wanted him to be. And that's a that's a typical Australian thing. They will try and break you until you do what you are supposed to do. Yeah, I, you know, I think... He's, he's not the first. Definitely. Uh, I also think he's underused as a, a test player in Asia because he could have been a Moin Ali sort of... Uh, utility player where he could come and play free-flowing cricket and also give it a rip every now and then with the ball. Um, Sankalp Verba has an interesting question. He says, is appealing uh, law or convention? Law. Yeah, that's what I thought. And we also have... Uh, I mean, I mean, I'm assuming it probably started as convention. Um, you know, if, if you going back to the late 1700s when the laws were written, I'm assuming that it comes from people asking questions and then they wrote it into the laws. And, and also, you know, the fun thing about appealing is you only need to appeal once and it covers all um, mm. appeals, which is, you know, um, weird, yeah. fascinating. I don't, but you don't, you don't have to say I'm appealing for the LBW. You just have to say, how's that? And then you let the umpire decide mm. on what he thinks it's out for. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we've got some more people in the comments. KKY all the way says, Behram survived the Pakistan elections. Knock on wood, fingers crossed. Um, we also have Tajiram, Deodat, and Nikon Kohli Pakam. I know you guys have lots of questions, but we have lots to cover as well. So if you really want them to be answered, I know I did a few free ones, but we usually take super chats. So that way we'll definitely take some time out, have your name up on the screen and address your question. Anyway, let's go to the West Indies. You know, they might have lost the series, but they did score over 200 runs in both T20s. And uh, the likes of Brandon King, Johnson Charles, Andre Russell, they all impressed in patches. In fact, Jason Holder ended up scoring like 62 runs off 31 deliveries and wasn't dismissed in this series or still isn't dismissed series across both games. So good on his average. But um, yeah, I mean, the bowling has let them down. But it's, they can still take a lot of heart from these games because look, they'll be playing a T20 World Cup in their own conditions. And if they're doing or batting this way away from home, you know, there's something there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because like the names that you say... Uh, they, they're not quite A-level tier names anymore. Like Andre Russell obviously mm. probably is still A-level, but he was once S-tier and he's come down to A-level. Yeah. Johnson Charles is, you know, he's had a phenomenally weird mm. career. Me and Michelle did a, um, a podcast about, about him a while back. Um, he's, you know, interesting and Brandon King's interesting, but it's still, I'm not sure if you go into a World Cup feeling like that's the team that's going to make you a lot of runs. Mm. I've seen them bowl... You know, they, they put a lot into Alzari Joseph and Alzari Joseph, the limited overs bowler, really hasn't paid off for them consistently. Um, you know, they've got that young kid, Matthew Ford. Yeah. He's a really, really skillful bowler, but really quite slow. Mm. Um, you know, uh, Obed, McCoy, 
you know, he's a fantastic bowler for all five minutes that he's ever fit, <laughs> sadly for him. You know, um, you know, some of the other guys as well, like just, ha- you know, um, uh, uh, two of the other fast bowlers. Um, Jaden Seal. Odin. And Odin Smith, right? Well, I was going to say Odin and who's the big the big fella, the really fast guy. Um, uh, just, uh, just haven't worked. They're just not consistent enough. But yeah, Jaden Seal, you know, a Chima holder. Hmm. You know, they've just got a lot of guys that have kind of just not taken that next mantle. And, you know, I, I think when we look back at the Great West Indian T20 team, we do focus more on the all-rounders and the batters and, and Sunil Narine and Samuel Badri, you know. But they usually have one or two bowlers that they could just bank on. And really, o- Obed McCoy should have been that guy by, mm. by now. He's probably the one I, I trust the most out of all the guys I've just mentioned there. And Alzara Joseph should be better than he is. They only need kind of two of them, but they need those two to be mm. really good. You know, they've they've tried to bowl like Romario Shepard with the new ball and Romario Shepard at the death. And they've tried to bowl... Um, uh, um, Jason Holder at the death, and these guys just get hammered. Yeah, right. And and they just they need, you know, especially they need one great new ball seamer and probably one great death seamer, and that should be really Alzari Joseph at the top and Obed McCoy at the end. Um, but they haven't managed to do that, and no one else has really stood up. So there's kind of you know a huge gap within their um within their team again. Um, and it's not entirely talent some of it is just development and bad luck and injuries but truth is that um you know they're going to struggle to win in in the world cup in usa and um west indies without uh, one of those bowlers i just said stepping up and probably two of them they'll be over reliant on gudakesh moti to do well in those slow surfaces i feel in in that world cup but it's interesting you mentioned all of these things but i want to discuss tactics a bit too because of course if death bowling is a problem you know rovman powell is someone who's been around for a bit, but he's a young captain. He's still scoring runs. He got a 63-odd uh, score in this uh, T20 series as well. But do you think he's the best fit to lead them in this T20 World Cup? Who would you Who would you have? I don't know. Someone more experienced. Uh, maybe Dre Russ could do it. I, I, I don't know Dre Russ very well, hmm. uh, but I get the feeling that he's a very... I don't want to say shy, but like an insular sort of person. Hmm. I don't mean that in a bad way, but just... They they basically want him to get the last the last dying breaths out of his knees, right? Mm. Like I think they just want him to spend as much time as possible doing that. Um, who else have you got on the list? Ha, um, yeah, I mean not Brandon King or Johnson Charles for sure. Uh, Nick Puran when he's available. I think after the last time Puran captained, mm. I don't think he's going to captain again. Mm. Uh, look, I like Rodman. I um, I tried to get him to St Lucia when I was a general manager there. You know, with with a view that he would play under Karen Pollard and then eventually maybe take over that position, you know, as a captain going ahead. He's a smart young guy, thinks about his cricket, developed himself quite a lot. Um, It's probably not an ideal situation for him to be a captain, but I also don't think that he's the reason that they're struggling. Um, I think that their batting is just not quite good enough, if we're being honest, and they haven't worked out, you know, top level seamers. The other problem is they have this really weird one. So Robman Powell, Kyle Mayers, um, give me some more. Jason Holder, mm. Andre Russell. I feel like there's another one I'm forgetting as well. They've got all these guys with all-round skills, but they all basically bowl right arm. Yeah. Same. We've, we've talked about this like it's in such, the past. Have we? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very like, one-dimensional. It's, it's just such an overlap of skills. It's just like, can not one of you be left arm or bowl some <laughs> spin or something? Like, it's <laughs> such an 
awkward thing to have happen to, you know, have that many players with all-round skill that you can't really use all that much. Sheldon Cottrell is the only name coming to mind in recent times, right? Uh, Obed. Obed and Sheldon yeah, both yeah, bowl, yeah. bowl left arm. Mm -hmm. um, I think they're the only two that I can think of of, of modern times. They, I, as I was saying before, they're another country that, you know, they had Garfield Sobers mm. and it's almost like cricket said to them, well, you had a pretty good player. <laughs> We're never going to give you any more left arm pace. So good luck <laughs> with the future. And, and to be honest, for 20 odd years, it went fine. It's just been since then that they've struggled a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, they, they don't have a lot of left arm pace. But even, you know, um, just one of them being able to bowl spin, you know, like just something different that they could bring. And it's like, because like Rodman is... Not a terrible bowler, hmm. right? And Rovman in a side like Australia gives you some Marcus Stoinis options, yeah. right? That's all it is. But in this side, it's like, well, when the hell is he ever going to bowl himself, right? And like Kyle Mayers, again, Kyle Mayers, good little, if the ball's doing a little bit on, on um, if the white ball's dipping around a little bit, you throw it to Kyle Mayers early on, but you don't want to have to bowl him when that's not the case, hmm. right? And, and Jason Holder... Kind of looks like he should be a better T20 bowler than he is. He takes a lot of wickets at the death, and so his average usually looks good, but he goes at like 10 and 11 and over to yeah. do that. It's just it's just a bit awkward. Um, and that, they all they all kind of need to bowl in the middle bit, bit except for they, maybe Mayers. There's so a name, though. Jason Holder could be someone who could lead them. But anyway, I think uh, we've... He's uh, not going to captain... Holder and Puran are not going to captain mm. them again, man. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I'd probably make an argument that Holder provides more utility with the bat as opposed to with the ball. But we've got a super chat. ARR oh, has sent sorry. one. So let's take that. Arr. He says, is Indian cricket team the most underachieving team? In terms of trophies. I'd say the Argentinian men's team <laughs> definitely would be the most underachieving team. They should have got test status back in the 1930s <laughs> and they're still not one to test. Yeah, I, I think with India, they are one of the most and arguably the most talented unit in the world. You could maybe make an argument with respect to the trophy cabinet, but no, they're not underachieving. I don't think so. I mean, I, I suppose it depends on how you look at it, right? Yeah. Like, if you're looking at it purely on talent, um, you might say that the most underachieving team. What's the tournaments that we honestly think? So, since was it 2013 when they beat England Champions Trophy, yes. right? So they ran into what, if you now look on a paper, looks like an epically great team of Sri Lanka, mm. right? In 2014, yeah. 2016, they run into Andre Russell, Samuel Badri, all the guys we were just talking about. 20, minute, 2015, like they run into Australia at home with Steve Smith and Mitch Oh, Stark. yeah, I forgot that one. Yeah, going crazy. Yep. 2017, probably one great day from Pakistan, who were on a high in the second half of that tournament, yeah. which I think is also fair. But looking back, that's the one that you say they probably could have won. Um, what's the next one? 2019... They had the split day thing in um, against New Zealand, and also mm -hmm. probably meant they had to go two bites of the chair. Uh, like a, 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 they probably had to bat on the sort of the day when the ball was doing a little bit more. Yeah. Although it was doing a bit on both days, mm -hmm. if we're being honest, but certainly didn't help them. Whereas probably helped New Zealand more. Um, Two thousand and nineteen, twenty-two, no, nineteen. Uh, they, oh yeah, that's the that that's, was that's a split um, innings uh, yeah. or split day semi-final. Uh, yeah, twenty twenty. Two thousand and twenty-two in UAE. They were just crap. Oh, no, no, no. Two, 12, like, that was 2021. 2022, they ran into England and kind of folded in that semi. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah, again, against the better team. Um, and then, so, and so you would say that they probably should have beaten Australia in this last one. Yeah. And World Test Championship final, I would say that 
Australia and New Zealand in those conditions would be slight favourites, although India is still a fantastic team um, as well. So really, of all those things that they've gone into, in the actual games they've gone up against, you would have to say that the vast majority, they have been around a par chance of winning or just lo- uh, just slightly less than par. Mm. They've gone up against some teams that were, just, you know, as I said, the 2014, 2016, 2019, uh, sorry, um, uh, 2022 England. So they've gone up against some teams that just were obviously on a different level now looking back and maybe we didn't give that at the time. Um, but, you know, if you're looking at pure talent, they still, I still yeah. think it's, it's almost fluky mm. the amount of times they haven't won, considering how many finals that they've been in, how many semifinals they've been in, how much talent they've had. Um, so I would, you know, from that point of view, if you played all of those games that we just went through again, they probably win a few more of those and win one or two titles if you played it back. Like if, if you played all these games a hundred times, mm. I- India probably win two or three titles out of all that period that we just talked about. But then about. you take away the but, pressure, right? And that's the... Yeah, but, that's the thing. But they don't play them a hundred times, do mm. they? They play them once, and they do have more pressure. Yeah, you know, New Zealand make a semi-final. No, there's like three people in New Zealand who raise half an eyebrow. Yeah, right. Like it is a completely different world that they play in compared to everyone else. Yeah, I mean it's interesting because uh, I, I feel like if you look at ICC tournaments alone, uh, you can maybe make a case for India. But if you look at them overall, they are far from underachieving. They are very much achieving, right? Uh, you'd want to have a record like India's over the last decade and a half. Um, yeah, basically. Bilaterally, they're not underachieving, mm-hmm. but they're underachieving in the games that matter. I, I mean, I don't think anyone can deny yeah, that. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, also, Orville De Silva says, I see London-based Jared in a tee and Karachi-based Peram. No, Islamabad-based Peram in a jacket. That's why there's a jacket. I'm and I, Islamabad-based. I've um, got a cardigan. Yeah, he's got a cardigan. That's a light cardigan. And, and he has... Is my, my office is really hot. I don't know why. It's always like five degrees hotter than the rest of the house, but it is. So it's... Uh, yeah, that's why if you ever see me in a t-shirt, it's got nothing to do with London. The rest of London's still just as cold as ever. Yeah. Also, you've got central heating over here. We have these inverter things, which are also air conditioners. But I don't have it on. I just have on the jacket because my studio is detached from my house. I have to actually walk outside. I'm trying to work out if this is more boring than the AI conversation <laughs> I started with or more boring than the gaming conversation <laughs> yeah. on the consoles that we talked about before. But I don't think it is. Yeah. Anyway, um, let's uh, end this segment. But before that, I just want to ask you, uh, can you guess what Xavier Bartlett's numbers are after two ODIs? Don't cheat. Just guess. No. Um, was he... I don't know, five wickets at 12 or something would it be? He's got eight wickets for 38 runs at an average of 4.75 and an economy of 2.35. He is Scotty Bolanding ODI cricket as things stand. (laughs) I mean, yeah, he should retire. I don't know why players play on. Why would you just not retire with those numbers? Tell all your friends down in the pub. And then imagine how many times you could win bets with people around the world. When you're like, yeah, I played some games for Australia. I averaged 4.85, <laughs> right? And then they're not going to believe you. So that was a much better career than being a cricketer. Yeah, Xavier Bartlett, if you're watching this, here's a suggestion. But anyway, we'll be back after the short break. You're watching Overthrows with Biram and Jared. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. We'll be back. Welcome back to Overthrows. You're with Jared and Biram. And we're going to go to New Zealand versus South Africa next. And the last time we spoke on overthrows, uh, that test, the first test between New Zealand and South Africa at Mount Maunganui, it was underway. And Rachan Ravindra had already scored that 240. So if you want to hear us talk about that, go to the previous episode, not this one. And unsurprisingly, New Zealand did go on to win the test by a hefty margin of 281 runs. Kane Williamson ended up 
with the twin hundreds in the test. And now, Jared, he has 31 tons in 170 innings in the format. That is the best hundreds to innings ratio amongst the Fab Four. But we all know that he's been a bit of a home ground or, you know, home conditions bully. He averages nearly 70 uh, in test cricket at home. So, you know, keeping all of those things in mind, here's a very loaded question for you. Where do you think he ranks in the Fab Four? Probably fourth. Yeah, I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> I've Because he's from a smaller nation, I've kind of looked for excuses to push him up. And I, and I love watching him bat as well. You know, I've certainly loved him as a cricketer. But when you actually go through his record line by line, hmm. sorts of ways that people like me and Cheyenne do, <laughs> we find it really hard to push him back up. Um, he's, I still think he's a better player than Martin Crowe. Although, you know, Martin Crowe at his peak was absolutely fan fantastic as well. And those are the probably, them and, and Glenn Turner are probably the, the obvious choices for best batters ever. And Glenn Turner and Martin Crowe are probably slightly better than their records make them mm. look. And Kane's probably a lot worse than his record makes him look, but he still makes those runs. Yeah. Like he still had to score them. But I don't know. Is it, I try to remember, is it against India, Australia and England? He doesn't have a high average or is it just India, Australia? Like, the better, like again, he's made two hundreds here, but again, it's against a poorer attack. Yeah. And every time you pick through his record, um, unfortunately, that that does come across. He makes a lot of runs at home and a lot of runs against mm. average teams um, or worse teams in some cases. So I hate that. I hate talking about that. But if you're talking about nitpicking between greatness, that's what you mm. start to do. I mean, right? That that's you've got Steve Smith, right? Who whose first innings and second innings average out of four. Uh, propels him to, you know, the best since Bradman's status. Although we've done an entire footmarks on this. So if you guys want to know more about it, Smudger Can't Snooze. That's the footmarks podcast that you could go listen to. And then Kohli. Bayram Bay only brings that up because he likes his title. Yeah, <laughs> I love that title. And uh, Kohli, you know, you have to factor in that he's been playing on dust bowls at home for a bit. So that average had to come yeah. down. Joe Root, actually, if you look at the last you know, three, four years. I would say he's top of the pile in the Fab Four just in that period because he had that conversion rate problem and then he just started scoring hundreds for fun. Um, and I'd say that those hundreds are worth more than maybe Kane's 31, even though Kane has the most hundreds out of the four. So yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the conversation will, you know, continue till those careers are finished and then we'll probably do a podcast on it or something. But um, there's another Super Chat, Jared, by Conrad McBad. Oh. So we can take his question and then move on. Okay, with the emergence of Glenn Phillips as a genuine all genuine all rounder, Conrad McBad. He's allowed to ask this question because he paid <laughs> yeah. for it, right? Yeah. But just so we're all aware, <laughs> if you throw in Glenn Phillips, genuine all rounder, you, <laughs> without without sarcastic um, italic font, I don't know if I'm going to take it yeah. normally. But continue, yeah. Conrad McBad. Golden arm Glenn is now uh, Glenn Phillips, a genuine genuine all rounder. But anyway, and Rajan Ravindra being a decent part time spin option, you're going to get a beating or something from Jared after this one. Is there a way back into the New Zealand test team for Michael Bracewell? Yeah, he's certainly still the best bowler of those three. I mean, I don't know how to fully explain Glenn Phillips' success, and, if we're being and, honest. And there uh, have and, been can't... several uncovered episodes in which Jared has literally shat on Rachin Ravindra, the bowler. Okay? You can go to multiple episodes yeah. where he's done that. Decent is Look, the basic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The basic thing is that they are both very part-time, I, I think. But, you know, them playing together is interesting because I do think that that changes things. But Michael Bracewell, I think, certainly has an extra... Uh, if you watch Michael Bracewell, he actually gets the ball to 
be correctly flighted and drift um, and spin. And he thinks about his spin bowling a little bit more than someone like Ratchet Ravindra would. Um, you've also got his batting and his fielding. Mm. So uh, I I would still think if they're, I think their plan is probably, they, they like having five bowlers. So if that's their plan, it probably, and, and Blundell's batting so well, you probably black, bat Blundell at six, don't you? And you bat um, Bracewell at seven. That gives you five genuine bowls, and then they can use their strength of the four seamers. And but if but if if you have Glenn Phillips and you have Michael Bracewell and you have Ratchet Ravindra, you give the ball to Bracewell first. Um, but in certain situations, uh, Ratchet Ravindra's bowling is quite handy, and Glenn Phillips is Glenn Phillips. He's going to be asking you to bowl all the way through anyway, right? So you're never going to forget you have him. Um, I, I don't have any issue there. But if you're asking me. Like if the spin stylings of those two is better than Michael Bracewell or enough combined to keep him out the side, I don't think it is. I think he's a much better bowler than that. Also, you know, he's a much better bowler on sort of flat wickets against really good batters. Like, you know, I saw I saw him bowl really well at times um, over the couple of, couple of times I've seen him play in test cricket already. He's not, and none of these guys are specialist spinners, if we're being honest, but he's he's the one that is most likely to pretend to be a specialist spinner. And, you know, we have seen Ratchet Ravindra bowl half trackers a lot and Glenn Phillips doesn't. I'm not sure Glenn Phillips knows what's actually going to come out of his hand sometimes. <laughs> so um, there's a big difference there. But um, uh, I, I can still certainly see a way for Michael Breswell to play. But it might also, it might depend on how much they feel comfortable about um, Glenn Phillips batting at five. Yeah. Because they probably would prefer Glenn Phillips about at six until, you know, he proves it. But mm. I suppose in my ideal situation, you know, that Phillips, if Phillips is good enough to bat at five um, and then you've got Blundell, who's certainly making enough runs to bat at six and then Bracewell at seven, that's quite handy. But you could go the other way. You could bat Bracewell at eight, Phillips yeah. at six. I mean, and, here's you know, a and thought. And you've still got Ratchens over. Here's a thought. When they're playing at home, Satner gets the nod more often than not and you can understand why. When they're playing away from home in Asia in particular, Phillips just had a brilliant series in Bangladesh. Rachin Ravindra just scored 240-odd at home, so you'd expect him to get a game in Asia. That leaves you with the option of playing two more spinners, and one of those guys is probably going to be Jaz Patel, right? So if you can add Michael Bracewell to the mix, that's someone who gives you batting depth as well. So maybe might be a no-brainer, uh, right? Even at home, I don't know how much Santa will keep Bracewell out of the side. Unless... I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen him. I don't know how fit he is. Or I mean, he was an incredible athlete mm. before. I'm assuming he's still the beast, right? Mm. Uh, as as was his nickname. Um, he's still that kind of person. If he's still that kind of player and athlete and mover and everything else, I think you pick him ahead of mm. Santner because he's a better bat than Santa. Yeah. Santner. Santner's bowling isn't particularly all that special, and he's a better fielder. Uh, not that Santner's a bad fielder, but Bracewell's an even better fielder again. Um, so I just think when you've put all those things together, he's still a better uh, player away. And as you said, Ajaz Patel comes into mm. the side away from home. And then you pick Bracewell as your what? I think you said it before that kind of mowing alley role. Yeah. And Ratchet Ravindra and Glenn Phillips are not that mm-hmm. that that level of um of, of a player. Definitely wouldn't want to, them to bowl a lot, a lot of overs. But you know, it, it is interesting because I don't know where Glenn or Glenn Phillips will go in his bowling arc. So uh, definitely want to keep out for. And thanks for the super chat. That was a very generous super chat. Now that I see Conrad yes, McBad. So yeah. Love you, dude. Uh, anyway, moving on. Uh, Kyle Jameson is back amongst the wickets in Test cricket after a while, Jared. He took six uh, at Mount Maunganui and uh, four in the second innings. He's someone who really rose onto the scene and created waves or shockwaves 
uh, won a World Test Championship, was taking wickets at an alarming rate. And then injury kind of hampered his progress. Now he's 29 years of age, still that tall. So <laughs> definitely has the uh, height advantage and, and generate a lot of bounce. But I just look at New Zealand's attack with Kyle Jamieson and without Kyle Jamieson. And there's a world of difference between the two. Yeah, look, he probably comes in just as the other three are starting to age out, right? Yeah. Like, you know, Wagner is oh, s- slowing down in mm-hmm. pace, certainly. Uh, Trent Bolt is a freelance player by that point. Yeah. And Tim Southey is, you know, probably um, certainly should be on the downward spiral of his career. Although I don't, I haven't seen any massive, you know, uh, problems with pace. But we also know, you know, we've seen some of the other forgetting Lockie Ferguson and, mm. and Matt Henry. We've seen some of the other guys that they've tried haven't been on that le- on that level. Matt Henry can never stay fit. Lockie Ferguson's basically a white ball bowler mm. now, and I'm missing the other one whose name I always forget. Matt but, Henry. Um, no, Matt oh, Henry, I said him. Uh, Milne. Ferguson. I, I the third one. And Milne. Yeah. So Milne, Milne and Henry is basically just about fitness. Now, I don't know if Milne's ever going to play red ball cricket. Yeah. So, look, and the thing with Jameson is he's a legit test match strike bowler um, and has been from almost the first ball we saw him bowl. He should have another three or four years of really good cricket left in him, whether New Zealand can use it. If Maybe the best thing that happened in New Zealand cricket was him not playing particularly well in the IPL. I yeah. don't know. but um, That's actually a fair point. You know, uh, you know, it keeps him around a little bit more. But yeah, I, I thought just at the point I thought New Zealand was going to drop off, that's when he turned up. And obviously, you're talking about Scotty Boland. He was Scotty Boland before there was Scotty Boland, right? So uh, I, I saw him bowl in India on flat pitches, and I still thought he was fantastic even when he wasn't taking wickets. I'm a huge fan of Kyle Jameson. Yeah. And he's you know he's a huge man to be a huge fan of, if we're being yeah. honest. But, uh, you know, but uh, no, so I'm gra- glad that he's back. But again, there's still, you look at two, three, four of those seamers. Just, it's just the ability to get them on the ground two and three games in a row, right? Pretty much. But New Zealand don't play a lot, a lot of test cricket. So I'm hoping that Jameson can at least have like 50 to 60 tests in his career because I absolutely love uh, him applying his trade with the red ball. He's also quite a handy bat, you know, when when he's on song. Uh, we've got another super chat. Uh, Today's one of those days uh, where people are being quite generous and, and we'll take it. We're not complaining. What? You know what they say in cricket? One brings two. Hmm. In this case, one brings three. Yeah, basically. Anish Raja. Hello, guys. Why does cricket broadcasting in Australia and India look so different? Every match in Australia and England looks like an IMAX-level show. I think Sky does it best, if I'm being, I don't know, subjective. I I was told recently about the amount of money that Sky put into a day's (laughs) broadcast. That might be the the difference. Um, I mean, I I think there's also an element of, um, I could be wrong, Anish, but I think there's an element of the air quality on camera, Mm. which would would be a, I, I, and I might be wrong, I don't know, but I definitely think that, um, you know, as someone who spent some time in parts of the subcontinent, like the air isn't as clear. And if you're filming that on high definition, it would look a little bit dustier perhaps also, at times. I, I and also just like, dust. I felt like just star sports didn't give too much of a shit about it. I feel like this uh, coverage that I just saw England, India and England it was better than what we've seen in, in the past. Yeah. If you go back and watch old footage, it is hilarious that some of the things, like I'm pretty sure there was a whole test match filmed out of someone's ass in Pakistan <laughs> once because it makes no sense how bad that camera was. Yeah. Right? It was like they got they got an uncle on his way to a wedding um, and said, well, well, well you think, you've got a Super 8 camera? Do you want to come and film this test match for us? Um, so, yeah, I do think that's the case. There's a lot more money in sports broadcasting mm. in, uh, and I mean production, mm. not 
not rights issues, because we know how much money there is in rights issues, but there's a lot more money in sports production when it comes to Australia and England. Um, not just, whereas in cricket, like in Indian cricket, mm -hmm. the rest of Indian sports won't have any money in their sports production, right? Yeah. Whereas English cricket is broadcasting up against football, mm. right? And, and the same with cricket, you know, it's broadcasting up against other major sporting codes that are putting a lot of money into their into their production. That's true. So that might play a part of it. Um, but I think if you look traditionally, this is this is something you've always seen. That's why I think maybe perhaps, and I could be wrong, but air quality, um, you know, and just the, you know, anyone who's ever been to India specifically or Sri Lanka, there is like a lot of, it feels like it is hazier to yeah, me. Yeah. Like, you know, the dust around the streets and everything mm -hmm. like that. Like I haven't spent as much time in Pakistan. It's uh, any time in Pakistan, fairly but. the same at this time of the year. It's terrible in Lahore, actually, in Karachi isn't far behind. Where I live, Islamabad, generally tends to be a lot better. And you've got the mountains close by. So when it rains, it gets pretty, yeah. pretty nice over here. But yeah, the air quality one, I actually never thought of that with respect to broadcasting. It's a fantastic point. I think there's some truth over there to it. Yeah, because it's just something I've always, I've thought about it a lot because I used to watch so much cricket and it was always hilarious to me how every country looks so different mm. um, on TV. So I, I wonder if that's a part of it. But I, I do think when you don't have competition for your sport, when your sport is automatically the number one, it doesn't make as much sense. Whereas you think about Sky. Sky, like, we spend a lot of money on this cricket. If we don't make it look good, they might flick over yeah. to Wimbledon. That's true. Right? Like, there, you know, there might be a football game on or whatever. Rugby, I, I don't even know what clashes 100% with the summer, but all the things that can clash with the summer that that might. And that's maybe not quite the case um, in, in some of the subcontinental markets. Mm -hmm. And also just that when it's also that if you're hiring the best people, whether it be producers, whether it be directors, whether it be camera operators, whatever, they're also bringing probably the best habits from other sports um, across. So my, I, I, this, I know, I'm pretty sure I'm right with this. A lot of India's camera people for test matches, and I don't know if they do the IPL, but I certainly know they do the test matches, traditionally were South Africans. Ah, uh, same story over here, actually. There are a lot of uh, foreigners in Pakistan that I see doing the camera work. And I think they are South Africans. Is it South Africans, though? I feel like it's South Africans. So there was something to do, and someone explained this to me once. Mel Farrell might have explained it to me, but it was something to do with they uh, came over early on when South Africa started touring these places, and then they've just kept up their contracts. And if you look at South African TV coverage, it is a step below Australia and um, uh, uh, England again. Uh, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just guessing with all these things, but I do think that the air. I mean, you go you go to the UAE or somewhere, you try and look a long distance and everything always yeah. looks a bit hazier. Whereas, you know, you go to England and you, you look a long distance, everything looks clearer. Like, you know, something to do with the stand, the dust, and the air quality. I don't, I don't know what it that's is. That's not but. the case in like, let's say, Gaul. You feel like Gaul's quality is better. I don't know. It's like maybe the ground and the aesthetics have to do something with this as well. I, I see. Yeah, that's what I mean. I, I would assume it's different from ground to ground because Dharmashala shouldn't be like and that, like, right? It's regardless th of they have clean air. What sort of broadcast you know, they have, you know. quality you have at the Newlands, it's still going to be good viewing, right? That sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think, but yeah, that would make sense again. And there are probably grounds in some of these places that don't look as good either. There's a foot, Do you know there's, what I mean? There's, like there's a picks over here in this. Best grounds ever. <laughs> best grounds ever yeah. i did that ages ago and goal i think goal won ah. um the best most iconic cricket grounds yeah. on a on a thing so um and that i did a twitter poll it ended up in like in Sri Lankan newspapers I was oh like, wow I, this is a slow news week mm. anyway i think we've spent enough time on this just to kind of finish up on new zealand versus south africa there's not much to write home about 
uh, with respect to South Africa, Shukri Conrad mentioned it or talked it about it like it's like Burnley playing at Anfield uh, and Burnley is a shit team in the Premier League and Anfield is where Liverpool play. So just for context. Um, but yeah, there was one batter who was able to cross 50 once across two innings. Everyone else failed. Uh, David Beddingham, who also happens to be mm. one of two players who was playing versus India a month or two back. And uh, he scored... He's a proper Yeah, player. he scored 87 and I was checking out his first class average. It's uh, 49. And he's played in England for Durham. He's played in South Africa. This guy's been around. He could be here to stay, you know, in both the first team and whatever this team is. No, no, he, he's definitely... I think I might have done some stuff on him when they, um, uh, when they won the test. Uh, sorry, when... Uh, must have been the first test against mm. India because he's a really interesting player yeah. and um, th- very solid, knows what he's doing. Mm. Um, so if, I don't know if you can go back and find some of that. Um, I'm sure we did something. I there, think it was part of the um, scoreboard lot, uh, with him. Yeah, I, I think that's. Yeah, it. I think it was on one of the scoreboard shows. But um, it, there was I can't remember who it was, but it was, the guy was batting first or second drop when he came out to bat in the second innings on what was a fairly flat wicket at that mm. point. The run line on the, uh, that the betting agencies had for him was like whether he was going to score, I think it was 12 or 13 runs. And it was just like the like no one believed in these guys. <laughs> and, I, you know, the Burnley um, thing that you were talking about before, it's just unfair, mm. right? Especially it, it really, coming you from know, your coach. He shouldn't be saying that, right? <laughs> I mean, well, <laughs> I don't no, but everyone knows the situation they're uh-huh. in, right? Like, there's no way. There, there, there should be a couple of players out there who were thinking, this is my big chance, mm-hmm. right? And we saw that when West Indies put up a strike, you know, um, uh, 11, right? Sometimes it is your big chance. But for most people, this is it. Yeah. This is the only time you're going to play for your country. And, you know, do what you can with it. But let's be honest here. You are going to go back and teach at a school very shortly. Yeah, hopefully uh, one of those guys, maybe Neil Brand, you know, took a six for and opens the batting. Maybe he could be the future Elgar. But I mean, this is going to be tough. Really, really tough. But anyway, we still have another segment to talk about. So let's do go over that quickly and then wrap up uh, over. How the hell do we have another segment? Because, what are we because doing Australia here? lost again. The women lost once again. They won both the ODI and T20 series, but they had never lost a game of cricket to South Africa. First, they lost to T20. And then Marazan Kapp, she basically, uh, yeah, obliterated Australia single-handedly in an ODI. She took uh, 3 for 12 and scored 75. And it's crazy. She also scored more 50s on this tour, by the way. I think she got three in six games overall. Mm. And it's crazy how all of her friends or most of her friends and her wife do not play anymore. And she's still killing it at the highest level. Sure. No, she's phenomenal. We don't need another thing. We'll just do it here. Um, I tell you what, we don't need to go too deep into this because me and Estelle just did a uh, Red Inca podcast, Mm. uh, which is about the Australian women and everything else. So... I don't want to. I don't want to say. I, and I just spent an hour talking to Estelle about this, mm. so I don't want to um, go too much into detail of of it. But the Australian losing is interesting. And I talked to Hypercost and and to Estelle and uh, sent some messages to some friends who coach in women's cricket and and everything. Uh, I think it's very fascinating. But we do see, you know, Marazan played that game. Yeah. We saw Haley Matthews play an incredible game against uh, the Australian women and beat beat them whenever that was as well. I wonder how much this is kind of like what Harman Preet did or how much this is the Australia doesn't quite have the sixth gear that they once mm. had. And so teams can hang with them a little bit more. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you one stat. T20 cricket, they have won seven of their last 12 mm. games. So they've won seven and lost five. Um, and before that, I think their win record was 75%. So they have dropped quite significantly of recent times. And, you know, no one's surprised that Marazan Cap would do that. But as you said, probably not the strongest yeah. 
South African team, at least at, that they could put out. I mean, they've probably got some pretty good players think about who could the walk into this side. T20 World Cup final, right? Not too long ago, and Australia won there. And all of a sudden, they've lost two out of six games across formats to South Africa. And, you know, if this was the Pakistan men's team, They'd be like, oh, Alyssa has won both the series, but we're not used to losing. So if she's lost two games out of six, maybe replace her with Beth Mooney as captain because Beth Mooney is scoring 50 after 50 <laughs> after 50. But hopefully that's not the case in Australia. Do you think, do you think she's under pressure? No. Hmm. No. I think if she loses the World Cup, that would be very different. But I wouldn't think that she would be under pressure at the moment. Yeah. Uh, honestly, without wanting to go too much into the Red Inker episode, I think they kind of overperformed between 2018 and 2022. And that there should be some regression from individual players and as a team. And if you lose Meg Lanning, you're also losing yeah. like a key part of, of what your side was. Matthew Mott, obviously not coaching them as well. Um, I think Estelle called it a transitional phase. Doesn't necessarily mean they're about to drop off the map. Yeah. And, you know, I think they've won 10 of the last 13 ODIs. So it's not horrendous, but there were whole years when they didn't lose ODIs, right? So... There is certainly something going on there. And I think there's a lot of different issues um, and things to be talk talking about. But just from the South African point of view, the fact that the fact that South Africa are playing so I it's been a weird series because haven't they been hammered in some games yep. and then won others? Basically. So it's it's been a bit of a up and down. They, they won the game in think... which Alana King did not destroy them because in the other two ODIs she took three and four wickets and some of those deliveries. I actually think that out of all the leg spinners across genders who are playing right now. Alana King might be the most aesthetically pleasing to watch. Um, yeah, uh, there are some absolute... I'm going to be know, thinking about that jaffers. for quite a while now. <laughs> um, that's an interesting But one. basically, but, no, she, she's, when she didn't do well, they won. Yeah. Um, I, I think that New South African team with the, is maybe has a lower floor at mm. times. I can see how it could go completely wrong for them in a way that the old South African team was maybe a little bit more steady. Um, but I do think that there's something there that could really, really develop quite interestingly going ahead. Mm. Um, and but good on them again. But yeah, I'm Red Inca, it may not come out this week, it may come out in a couple of weeks, but we've we've gone into it. Only because you and I have been talking about it so much. Yeah. I just wanted to stop and mm. talk about it. But yeah, fascinating that they lost again. Um, you know, they were the invincibles mm -hmm. and now they're the vincibles. Yeah. Let's see how, how they perform in the next ICC tournament. But anyway, uh, on that note, uh, look forward to that Red Inca by Jared. But that's going to be it for this episode of Overthrows. If you liked it, like this video or, you know, Spotify stream or whatever you're listening to. Share it with your friends and subscribe to both this channel and Jared's other channel on YouTube. We'll be back with another episode of Overthrows next week. That'll be all for this time. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are also many other extras as well, including a Discord channel where you can chat to me directly. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. We are an independent podcast, so support us any way you can. Maybe give us a review, subscribe, or share on social media. All of these things help us. And when it comes to podcasts, word of mouth is always the best way of making it grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Baram Kazi and Estelle Vasudevan. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston, and each episode is produced by Ishit Kaburka at Sound Potion Studio. Mukunda Bandredi, or Muku as most people will know, is the head of our YouTube channels, and he also helps out with so many other things like the podcast recordings. And there's so many other people we could thank here, but I just want to thank all the listeners and all the people who help behind the scenes that make this podcast work. 
feeling lazy about promoting your podcasts and videos? Memento FM has your back. Their seamless platform cuts and promotes all your content effortlessly. It's laziness approved. Try Memento FM today.